0: Welcome to The Collector's Corner, a podcast by the Wax Junkies. Stay tuned and on track. Let's talk about all things wax. What's up? What's up? All right. We're already on episode four, man. And um, the good news is that the numbers are going up. We are seeing people listening. I think the good news is that we're having fun. Yes, we are. I mean, that's the main point, right? Like, we're not getting paid for this. Yep. This is purely for fun and to share things within the community, right? It's our passion project. I love talking about cards. Oh, I know you do. So talk about it then, bud.
1: All right. My card of the day I got last week at a sports card show. It's a Jamie Vardy autograph card. And the reason why uh, I love this card so much is because this is going into my personal collection. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, he played for Leicester City, and in 2016, I believe, it was the biggest upset in sports
0: history. For those that don't know, he's showing a soccer card. It's a select card. What's It's an auto with a, a jersey on there, or what? Yeah, it's Jamie Vardy wearing the
1: English national team jersey, not the Leicester City jersey. But to me, it's still very sentimental because it represents the biggest upset in sports history and that anything is possible.
0: And that's an on-card auto, or is that a sticker? It's a sticker auto. Yeah, in soccer, sticker autos are more accepted because a lot of the autos in soccer are sent over from overseas, correct?
1: Yeah, it's probably very difficult for soccer players to sign because you're right, they have to send them over to America. It's probably a lot of logistic work going yeah, on. Yeah, a
0: lot of logistics. So, And for those that don't know, Kenjamin has recently... Absolved most of his sports and moved on over to soccer for some reason. But uh, that makes sense that that's your card.
1: Yeah, I gotta follow my passion. I love soccer cards right now, and that's the only thing I can keep thinking of. Yeah, it just takes over my mind, and heart, and soul. I just, when I see a soccer card, I just become, I fall in love.
0: Um, I don't know if you realize this, but a single tear just came down my cheek. Oh. <laughs> All right. So for me, my card is more on the flipper side, I guess you could say, because I'm hoping to move out of it fairly quickly. And I've told you about this card. I recently got at a show the past weekend, and it is a one-in-one auto on card with a jersey, number to 49 of Tyler Hero. One of one. No, uh, one-in-one. So... It's one of my favorite brands, actually, because you can find a lot of the products at a fairly reasonable price, and they're all on-card autos. Here, you see it?
1: Oh, okay. I think I've seen that before.
0: So they're pretty cool cards. They have the Panini seal on them. So my plan for this card is to sell it when he starts playing this season, and it's coming very soon. Yeah, and they got a new point guard for their team, so it should be exciting. Kyle Lowry, yes, yeah, You know, I'm definitely pro-hero. I like his shot-making abilities. I think he's a great um, shot creator. And when he has the ball in his hand, he can definitely score points, as we've seen in the past. I just think that in the previous years, he was up against a lot of people fighting for his minutes. He had Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic. Sometimes Duncan Robinson, but with Goron and uh Kendrick Nunn out, I think he's gonna see a lot more playing time. And he also got super buff. Have you seen that?
1: No, I haven't, but I do know that uh usually for these NBA rookies, that year three or year four is usually when they start to uh, like uh make
0: great true. progress. True, true. Let me show you this photo of uh, Buff Tyler. Buff Tyler, okay. Yeah, one of his things is he's trying to get into an NBA body. It, it almost okay, looks okay. photoshopped, yo. Yeah, probably is. So he's beefcaking. So yeah, so uh, I see upside, a lot of upside from this year, and we'll see what happens. It's on record, so we'll find out. Yeah, it looks like he's been eating a lot of Chipotle. Or hitting the gym. I mean, I heard that's where you make your muscles bigger. Wow. All right, so today we have a juxtaposition here. You're coming in as a collector and I'm coming in as a flipper. Now, I wanted to talk about this because I feel like this is a very sensitive topic within the community. And I've noticed a lot of influencers will always talk about investing on their channel, but then they always got to throw in a little thing like, but I also collect and this is my PC, and which... You know, that may 100% be true, but I do feel like there's some sort of insecurity where they have to cover their ass, so to speak, from any kind of backlash. What do you think?
1: I can just uh, give you my position on it, which is I personally collected just to collect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would never sell anything. And I also, looking back at it now, uh, I think it's kind of foolish to not sell. So I turned I you to up. the dark side. Yeah, well, I think it's very foolish of me just to keep collecting cards and not doing anything with it and just saving it. Right.
0: Everything be my PC. Right. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because if you are a collector, unless you have endless amounts of money, you want to get those cards that are really cool. And a lot of times in order to do that, you need endless amounts of money. So how do you get that, you know? if you don't have your regular day job and you know a lot about cards well why don't you flip cards so that you can get to those pieces that you really want
1: yeah so one thing is i was usually playing around with 30 dollar range like maybe 10 dollar cards to like 35 dollar cards mm-hmm. and then now that i'm able to like move up i'm playing around like you know the 100 dollar to 300 dollar range which is significantly more than when i first started and i think that's because i've been working my way up like flipping those thirty dollar yeah. cards to a hundred dollar
0: cards. You have, you have. And we'll talk about that in future episodes yeah. about some of our flips. But to be clear, so you're a collector first, you've always been for many, many years, and not until recently have you started flipping and quote unquote investing. Actually, I would say flipping more than investing, right? Because you don't like to hold long term.
1: I don't like to hold long term. Um But there are certain pieces in my collection that I know don't have a high demand for them. But for me, they hold a lot of sentimental value. And so that's why I would keep them around for a long
0: time. Majority of my collection is definitely PC, though. When your failed investments become your PC. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, So, but you like to flip out of your prospects really quickly, right? Uh,
1: It's a learning process for me. It's definitely a a high Mm -hmm. learning curve. I'd say that uh, I probably am learning now that I have to probably hold a little bit longer. It's not as easy as you think, like flipping in like a week or two weeks or something. It doesn't work like that for my collection.
0: Okay, well, for me, I've always started as a collector. Again, I started in the 80s and 90s. And the thing that people who weren't around during that time need to understand was the era of sports cards has almost rarely been about investing and you know flipping and making money i mean for various reasons right the ecosystem wasn't there for that you know there wasn't ebay there wasn't instagram we didn't have the knowledge to check prices the only comps that we had were really like beckett magazine uh-huh. which you needed a subscription or you need to actually buy the magazine every time so of course at that time I was a collector and then like many others I got into it from opening boxes and the gambling aspect um, a couple years ago and then also learning about investing learning about flipping because I had so many cards that I got from these boxes I needed to figure out how to move some of that stuff and it was a natural progression right yeah and so as I've been in I probably am like part of about 30 Facebook groups so I hear the chit chat all the time it's constant okay and okay. there's so many people in these groups that are like oh you guys are flippers flippers are bad and um it's like you guys are ruining the hobby and everyone's just driving up the prices and you know the boxes used to be so cheap back in the day and it's almost like i I envision like the old grandpa on the street with the the stick in his hand waving it like oh you kids ruining the hobby you know and yeah of course there's a part of that that's true right i mean you've been in this hobby for a while um what are your immediate thoughts on that sentiment
1: my immediate thoughts are that I can't appease everybody. I think flippers are also good for the hobby because they draw attention to the hobby. They also grow the market.
0: They That's also true. They grow the hobby. Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously um, the reason why there are flippers is because this uh, this hobby is so
0: appealing to a wide general audience. Okay, on one hand, I can understand the sentiment against flippers that are purely in it for profit and have no love or interest in cards a lot of them don't even know sports and i've discovered this because i've played like the whole looking for boxes at the target walmart game and i've seen some of the people yeah. standing in line trying to get cards and i know 100 percent they have uh-huh. zero interest in cards you could just tell by what yeah. they say and you know and all of that now that uh-huh. for me i i get that there's a little bit of annoyance there however I don't think that's a majority of the market. And a lot of people are ones that do rip sometimes or have an interest in cards to some extent. Now, that aside, I just think it's interesting that none of the people that are really growing this category and highly involved and been doing it for a long time are the ones out here on Facebook group and Instagram knocking on investors or flippers i agree people like burbank cards who have recently even won the award for um what is it called uh, the best card shop in america pretty much i mean they are they are the best card shop in america in my opinion i haven't been to many Shout but I, i've been to enough right Oh, yeah. It's the Partners in Progress Award. You never hear the owner of Burbank, a.k.a. the Cardfather, talking about the bad that investors are causing. And he also rarely calls it a hobby. He always calls it the category. So it's really interesting to me. You look at people like Card Collector 2. They're buying, selling, trading. They're not talking about, you know, oh, why are these people buying this and flipping it and selling it? No. These guys are actually encouraging the people that want to do that to go ahead and do that because this is what keeps the economy moving and the blood flowing. When you think about people that come in, they sell their cards, then Burbank will buy it, put it out there, allow people that are buying it to get their margin on it if they want to flip it. You know, if they want to keep it, fine. But if you want to flip it, they're going to let you do that so that things can constantly cycle in and out. Because at the end of the day, don't get fooled. This is a business, this is a card business. And the ones that are making the most money are the card companies, right? Absolutely. At the end of the the day, the house always wins, right? Yep. The house always wins. So you haven't seen any of these, like, these comments, right? These negative comments.
1: No, I usually stay away from that stuff. Um, I'm not as involved in the Facebook groups as like you are, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah,
0: no, it it gets ugly in some of those groups. I'll be honest with you, and okay, it made me wonder about the hobby, aka category in general, because I'm not here to bash it at all. Because there's great people, there's great people that I met, really cool folks, really cool shops, really cool dealers. But there's also a lot of people that complain. And I've noticed that compared to a lot of other industries, I would find that in cards, there seems to be a lot more complaints and people that care so much about how, how other adults spend their money, how other adults invest. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, why are you investing in these young guys? Why are you doing this? And it's just so interesting how much people how judgmental people are and i've noticed a lot and i think that i don't know i have my theories perhaps it's because in sports typically there is a lot of ego involved right mm-hmm. what do you think
1: i personally think uh the judgmental aspect of it i think that's because they're behind a keyboard. I feel like if we're meeting them in person or at a card show, they're not as critical. They're a lot kinder and nicer and friendlier. Good point, but good point. when they're behind a keyboard and they're anonymous, they can just say whatever they want. And, you know, uh, I think the worst of people and their personalities come out when they're
0: behind a keyboard and anonymous. Yeah, or their true feelings. But no, that's a good point. That is a good point. I was just thinking also about because I collect records as well and I've collected records for a long time, music vinyl. And in that community, it's very common to buy and sell. There's a economy for that. There's a, a website and obviously people use eBay, but you never really see the kind of things that people talk about with sports. You never see like the judgments, the criticisms, the why are you selling this for so much higher when it should be this? It's quite interesting That it doesn't really exist as much in that world where in sports cards, I've noticed a lot of people in the Facebook groups, they're always uh, not not everybody. But I've seen a lot of comments to posts of people trying to resell boxes or cards and basically expecting them to sell it to them at like the retail costs, like no markup. And I don't understand that at all. Like that like blows my mind. Like how can you expect somebody on a secondary market to just give it to you at what they paid for? So I just don't know in what other industry that exists. All
1: right. Let me ask you a question. Do they expect you to sell it to them at cost in person
0: when you meet them at a show? Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that it's wheeling and dealing. It's negotiating. I get it. You know, people want a good deal. I want a good deal, you know. But when it comes to, like, for example, reselling a box, a retail product, I'm not going to go and expect someone to sell it to me at the price that they paid for it if the market is saying that it's double. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be happy if they do. But I'm not expecting that. And that's what a lot of people I see yeah. are doing. Yeah, you can't expect
1: them to have the same outlook and expectations that you have personally, right? Yeah. They might have their expectations or their desires or requests that may be completely outrageous. But again, you can't expect them to have the same outlook and perspective that you have, right?
0: Right. And I think this sort yeah. of sort of elitism that I see associated with those who collect, quote unquote, Yeah, It's great that you collect, do whatever you want to do, but that doesn't make you better than someone that's an investor. The people that are Mm. the best in this category are the ones that are involved in the community, educating friends, family, kids, growing the category, showing others that this isn't just a silly, childish hobby for grownups. This is something bigger than that. And I think that's what actually will make you better or elite person in this category, I'd say. It's not just because you're a collector. Yeah. You know, I do, val- I see mm-hmm. the value in collectors because that does drive the the market quite a bit, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, it's about expanding and growing the passion or hobby. No, category. I'm trying to refrain from saying hobby because... Okay. Okay, I got a hot take here. Mm-hmm. Okay. The card category is not a hobby. Hmm. Sports cards is no longer just a hobby. You can call it a hobby, but I think that it's more than a hobby now. Because if we go back to where it used to be, the olden ways was you just merely collected and traded. But now there's a whole aspect of it that has changed, turned it into investing, into flipping, into making money. And a lot of people enter this hobby with that expectation or with that interest rather. Like you have kids now that are coming in and that are very savvy about investing and flipping and, and collecting as well. Yeah, I want to add in there
1: that I think growing the hobby though and keeping it as a hobby is really important. Like if you check out video games like NBA 2K, you can buy packs with stats on them, right? Or you play right. Madden Ultimate Team Football or FIFA Ultimate Team. You can also buy packs in there. And so Tops has this thing called soccer match attacks. Do you know about those cards? Oh, they yeah, have like stats. Yeah, I know match attacks, and they're pretty affordable, right? And I think those are those type of products are very good for growing the hobby because it allows kids to enter the hobby and experience absolutely. what we had to experience. We got to experience when we were kids, you know absolutely.
0: But if the kids want to come yeah. in there to flip or to invest, there shouldn't be any knock against that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because there are autos in those match attacks. And if a kid pulls an auto of a match attack
1: guy that he doesn't particularly like and he wants somebody younger, why not flip the
0: guy Yeah, and a a card that you want, right? And if we zoom out and look at the bigger picture, this might blow some people's minds if they haven't thought about this. But if you think about it, a lot of the people that are driving this market are actually, in essence, flippers. You look at local hobby shops who are very esteemed, as they should be because they're the face of the hobby. In essence, they are flippers. They are buying product, whether it's used from other collectors, and then they're putting out in their showcases and selling it for more as soon as they get it. Or they're buying boxes or getting boxes from distributors and they're putting it on the shelves and marking it up. And a lot of the owners of these shops do not have a PC. Again, it's not a bad thing, Yeah. but these shops and the card companies are the ones making the most money.
1: Okay, I agree. But I think these card shops kind of take the place of Costco. They're buying all these cards in bulk, so they yeah. get a better price. And for us as the consumer, we get a better price, essentially from buying from an online retailer. When we go to Costco, we can get it for cheaper.
0: Well, the only shop that I've seen doing that is Burbank Cards. I'll be frank with you. I've never walked into a hobby shop and, yeah. and said, uh-huh. you know, unless it's some like raw card that the owner had no idea about. I never really walked in and saw a PSA 10 card and said, yeah. it's like a great, amazing deal. When has that ever happened outside of Burbank Cards?
1: For me personally, at the Nationals.
0: Yeah, but that's not a card shop though. Those are dealers, right? You're right, I guess so, yeah. (laughs) But I guess what I'm saying, the point is, is that these card shops are essentially doing what a lot of people in the hobby are complaining about. They're just seeing the smaller picture. They're not zooming out. And I've even heard people in my groups talk about, you know, the only way to fix this problem of flippers is the company should make the profit. Then they should upcharge all the boxes that takes away the profit. It'll remove the flipper aspect of it because more boxes will be on the shelves at the prices you're paying for paying flippers for it. But I don't think that's the solution. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think that's
1: the solution as well. Um, I think the flippers will always be there. I think what they're expressing is that if a box of select Mega Blasters costs like 25 bucks or 30 bucks and the cheapest that I can find it for is $95, that's pretty frustrating to me. To think that I have to pay $95 for a product that they got for $30 because I yeah. know their cost. So I understand their sentiment because now I cannot afford to buy a box of select basketball without playing three times what it is at MSRP.
0: Right. But isn't that essentially what the distributor and the shops are doing? The distributors and shops are getting it at a much cheaper price and they're flipping it for double the price. Yeah,
1: I understand that. So that's just market value, right? That's just what the market value is. Yeah. If the Target or whatever distributor sells it for $90, I'm pretty sure Flipper will sell it for $200. And I'll yeah. Have to pay $200 for a box. So I would not agree with that. Yeah.
0: I don't go into a Chipotle and order a Coke complaining that I spent $2 on it when the cost for them was $0.10. Cents, or complain on eBay that a Lamello 101 costs $0.20 cents to print. That's right. That's true. I agree. It's just supply and demand. It's just market economics. Yep. It's all market economics, absolutely. Because if you look at shoes or or clothing and people in that market, they're buying supreme retail stuff that goes for over $500 sometimes. And they're making their markup on that. So if you're taking a blaster box and marking it up to you know a couple hundred dollars off the shelf, people will still flip it if there's value there, right? I agree. Uh, I think
1: another frustrating part of it is like, you know, eight years ago, if I walked into a Target, I could buy a box of basketball packs. I could find it there. It would be there. Absolutely. The shelves would not be empty, right? And today, like the market's changed. If I walk into a Target, I'm not, I'm going to see the shelves empty. And it's kind of disappointing and frustrating.
0: I think that's the main thing. Yeah, it's the frustration. And I see that in a lot of industries, just like with records and being around people that love music i've been into these record shops and i hear the old guys and they always say the same thing it's like music was not like it used to be you know and it's the the same thing probably with sports you know it's in every industry and they're always like oh it's not like it used to be which may or may not be true but it's just interesting how that sentiment always carries over and i do yeah i do think it's probably pent-up frustration people expressing themselves. Um, but I do think sometimes it goes too extreme. And people are saying things that don't make sense a lot of times. Because when you zoom out and you look at the bigger picture, there's a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of contradictions there. And so the, I want to go back to the definition of a hobby. A hobby is an activity or interest pursued for pleasure or relaxation and not as a main occupation. This is the Merriam-Webster definition. So by that definition, can we both agree Uh that trading cards, sports cards, is not any longer purely a hobby? It may be for some, but the industry as a whole is not a hobby. It's a category. Uh, I don't want to argue semantics. I think that
1: it's not as easy of a hobby to enter into as a kid. Like when we were kids, I'd go to like Safeway, for instance, or the grocery store, and I'd be able yeah. to find a box of baseball cards or even a pack. Mm-hmm. But that's not currently the case in today's times. And, and uh, I guess the, the barrier to
0: entry is higher. How about that? But if you're a kid and you just want to rip, you know there's a lot of cheap packs that you could find. Prism Draft, always sitting on the shelves. Match attacks, tops, Um, unless you're trying to pull like a $300 card out of something, then we're back at square one where we're talking about money. And in fact, I'm glad you brought that up because this is going to segue into our next episode where we're going to eventually talk about some of the things that Fanatics can do. For those that don't know, Fanatics has now taken over the licenses for the MLB, NBA, NFL but we're going to talk about the things that they can do to help this category grow and improve.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe things that we'd like to see changed. I, I prefer like things that I would like to see changed. Whether they do it or not is up to them. But I think their their general interest is aligned with ours in that they want to see the hobby grow.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, because yeah. at the end of the day, they're not stupid. This is a business but we are just consumers of it. And that's another thing. When we go back to the sentiment that the company should make the profit, it's quite interesting because why should the biggest fish in the pond be the one that deserves all the profit? Don't you think the small fish, the ones that are also involved in this category, the random YouTube guy that has his vlog that's buying and selling and showing you how it works... Don't you think those guys should also be making profit as well? I mean, that's how this ecosystem works, right?
1: Well, I guess maybe the ecosystem is that, you know, the companies like Topps, Panini, they should be making the bulk majority of the profit. And the more profit they make, the bigger the pie is. True,
0: true. So you're saying that that's better for the hobby then? I don't necessarily know if it's better or worse for the hobby. Uh, I think that that,
1: uh, if they don't take care of us little fish, then... Or might start to leave the
0: hobby yeah and just like the card father always explains for this ecosystem to work everybody has to be working in a song and dance together the card company needs to make money the distributors need to make money the shops need to make money and the guys that are buying the cards they need to be happy about their purchases whether they're collecting or they're Uh, whether they're collecting or whether they're flipping for profit and trying to buy more cards. That's what keeps everything circulating. Yep, I agree. So with that being said, I just want to challenge people to not be afraid to say that you're here just flipping and investing. I understand if you're the guy that's a flipper asking, hey, is this box good to buy? Should I buy this so that I can make money off it? Yo, that's tacky and I'm not into that. But if you are someone that does... Have a bit of interest in cards. Don't be afraid to talk about your investments. Don't be afraid to say that you know, you don't have this amazing PC or that's all you do is PC. That's all I want to challenge. Let's say like you're introducing your friend to the hobby. Yeah.
1: Right? And your friend knows nothing about the hobby. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best ways to grab your friend's attention is to tell them, hey, you can make money off this.
0: 100%. Flip
1: this. 100%. Yeah. That's a probably a nice way to introduce them into this hobby, right? Like this can actually make you money, right? And
0: the ones that end up staying typically end up becoming collectors too in a a sense because you have to have a passion for this stuff. There's such a high learning curve with cards. It's not an easy thing to really get into and figure out. Like you have to have interest in sports and at the end of the day, yes, you're right. It's like... Remember in churches, they would have the basketball courts for people to come in and play so that they can eventually introduce you to a church or a small group, right? Yeah. <laughs> or they, yep. they have the free food or whatever to, to lure you in, you know? Yeah, so I guess one way to
1: introduce them to the hobby is by telling them, hey, you can make money off flipping cards.
0: Nothing wrong with nope. that until proven otherwise. So, hey, if you guys have any yep. comments or questions, feel free to hit us on the Instagram at the Wax Junkies we just want to keep it raw on here you know we want to talk about our opinions unfiltered yeah and I think we also want to we also want to tell them that like we respect their opinions but we just have our own opinions on this issue as well of course yeah yeah opinions are like assholes everyone has one and here's ours (laughs) you nasty mother (laughs) that's funny All right, guys
1: Take care, you have a good day.